David was famously a man after the Lord's own heart. He was the second king succeeding where Israel's first king, Saul, had failed. He was a Messiah, a Christ, an anointed king. And he reigned over a united Israel, bringing peace and extending blessing and grace. And as you read through 1 and 2 Samuel, you're starting to think, well, maybe this is it. Maybe David is the true and eternal Christ. Maybe he is the promised seed who has come to set the world to rights. But then comes 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel 11 from verse 1. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a beautiful woman washing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Here is where everything starts to go wrong for David. His heart, his heart is the beginning of all the troubles. His heart wanders from his true bride. He desires to have another bride. And suddenly we realize that David is not the eternal Christ. Jesus' heart burns fiercely and uniquely for his bride, the church. But David's heart is wandering. He, his looking turns into lusting and all in a hurry. We read that this woman Bathsheba is brought to David. We are never told whether she is willing. And, and what does consent even mean when it's the king who's commanding it? This is all very, very disturbing. But it gets even worse. Bathsheba falls pregnant and David, eager to cover, to, to cover up the adultery, uh, brings back her husband Uriah from war, hoping that he will sleep with Bathsheba and that that would explain the pregnancy. But Uriah is so loyal to King David that he refuses to go to his wife while his men are at war. Night after night, verse 9, Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. And then verse 11, Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. The righteousness of Uriah not only contrasts with David's wickedness, but it seems to provoke even more wickedness. With David unable to cover his tracks, he turns to murder. David writes this in a letter to his commander-in-chief, Joab. He says, Put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest, then withdraw from him so that he will be struck down and die. So here we have adultery at best, and now murder. It's completely appalling, and it proves that David is a mere man just like us. In fact, he's a wicked man just like us. Because we too need to be honest with ourselves. We too are guilty of David's sins if we allow Jesus to define sin. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, anyone who looks lustfully at a woman has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And in verse 22 of Matthew 5, he says, Anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. 
It's murder of the heart. So at heart, we are all adulterers. At heart, we are all murderers. And this is how our whole sinful nature operates. It's not just David. All of us desire things which we shouldn't. We go after them no matter what the cost is. And if anyone stands in our way, we kill. You see, we lust and we loathe. We are just as guilty before God as David was. We have that same lust, that adultery, that same anger, that murder. So what is our hope? It's the same as David's hope. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, the prophet Nathan goes to David and convicts him of his sin. And the upshot of this conviction of sin is Psalm 51. Here in Psalm 51, we read about David's prayer of confession. And it's been used by sinners for the better part of 3,000 years. Uh, One of the fascinating things about Psalm 51, and I'd encourage you to read this after the video, is in Psalm 51, David unites absolute confidence in God's forgiveness with complete honesty about the horrors of his sin. He begins the prayer absolutely assured of uh, the mercy of God, of God's unfailing love, of his great compassion. And he continues, not by minimizing his transgression, but by saying in verse 5, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. David confesses that the person he was when committing adultery and murder is the person he has always been. This is really surprising. We usually minimize our confidence in God's mercy and we minimize our acknowledgement of our own wrongdoing. David absolutely maximizes both. Why? Well, because his confidence is somewhere else. In verse 7, he says, O God, cleanse me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Now, hyssop was a spindly plant that sort of doubled as a paintbrush at Passover. It was used to daub the blood on the doorposts so that judgment would pass over. And David seemed to think that God has hyssop. Does that mean God also has a lamb? Does that mean that there is also blood that can cleanse even David's sins away? Yes, indeed. And it's the only way to put together both the grandeur of God's grace and the depths of our depravity. We all lust, we all covet, we all steal. And when we can't have our own way, we hate and hurt and kill. But as 1 John chapter 1 verse 7 says, the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. Therefore, through Christ, David's prayer can be our prayer. And so we pray from verse 10, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you.